how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. In episode 261, I speak with Tana Reeve Dew and Stephen Barnes, two of the writers on Black Panther, Sense of the King, the new audiobook and ebook series from Marvel and Disney. In the newest Black Panther story, the story follows as an army of undead threatens Wakanda, and the Black Panther turns to his long-lost father in the fight against his most lethal opponent yet, the demons of his past. If it's your first time listening, make sure to subscribe and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, blog, podcast, and the new book, Ink by the Barrel, at brockswinson.com. I've wanted to be a writer since I was four. I think I was always an avid reader as a child. Wrote a lot of sort of mystery, science fiction, uh, horror when I was younger. Started publishing in 1995. My first novel was called The Between. So, uh, yeah, I, that's, I, I basically was very lucky to enter publishing in the 1990s when there was a black books boom. So genre uh, had an easier road than I think it might have been for me if I had tried to enter publishing as a horror writer as a black woman previously. So I was, uh, this is Steve talking, I was comparatively a Johnny, Johnny Cub lately because I don't think I knew I wanted to be a writer until I was about eight. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I wrote... Uh, I started publishing in the 1980s, early 80s, uh, published 30 novels, worked in television and film, uh, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Stargate, Andromeda, stuff like that. And uh, what drove me to writing was a love of storytelling and of making connection with people. And I think it was reading my stories aloud to groups and watching the groups respond emotionally that convinced me that this was the path that I wanted to walk. And I was fortunate enough, blessed enough, really, to serve an apprenticeship with one of the great science fiction writers of the 20th century, Larry Niven, and uh, to, along the way, have met many wonderful, wonderful people who opened their hearts and their minds and helped me understand what this profession was about. 
and what the what the job was about. And uh, so aside from that, it's just, you know, trying to spend as much of my time as possible doing the things that I love to do. And one of those things is writing. During your experience, have you guys seen any of the, the fundamentals change? Like, do you feel like you need to get to the action quicker or audiences, you know, less observant about things? Anything like that that's changed about your style over the years? No, not for me. I don't tend to pay attention to trends like that, to be honest. Uh, we once wrote a couple of YA zombie novels where a publisher asked us to cut it in half so that it would meet the needs of, I guess, a shorter attention span. But that was a pretty dramatic case, and that's the only time I've ever had anything like that happen. So other than that, we're just trying to tell good stories. You know, I uh, I guess I would say that I've always had to keep an eye on the marketplace. Uh, because the meaning of uh, a communication is the reaction you get from the audience, from the person that you're talking to. But in terms of the styles of writing, my thought is that they're always going to be, you know, if, if you take a look at all the different approaches to storytelling, all of them, in some ways, all of them have already existed, have always existed. But what is the most popular thing at the moment and the thing that people might be most willing to reward you for, that's going to shift. But you can't chase after that. Uh, ultimately, that becomes fool's gold. What you have to do is learn your storytelling rhythm, and there will be some flexibility within it, and you can be flexible within that, but beyond that level of flexibility, it's it's more important for you to maintain your voice and maintain your sense of integrity to your own creative impulse than it is to chase after what happens to be the you know style du jour. So tell me, so obviously, you know, the Black Panther franchise is a phenomenon. I mean, Wakanda is like a pop culture reference going across multiple genres and everything today. But what kind of led you to to uh, write for this story and this character? Well, we got a call from our agent. We are represented by APA, and, and they were very excited that there had been an inquiry uh, about this project, and we didn't know much about it. We didn't know much about Studio Box in the beginning, so this was a learning process for us. But we're both huge Black Panther fans. And I, in particular, was attracted to this project because Serial Box has sort of a hybrid development model that's midway between uh, writers and television writers, uh, or I, you know, I should say um, fiction writers and, and television writers, uh, where they have a room. And that really was very tantalizing for me because I'm delving into a lot of development deals right now, uh, adaptations of my own work, but I'd never been in a room before. So I, that was just to me the most, one of the most exciting things about it was not just to have a chance to write this character, but to listen to so many other writers, you know, uh, Ira Madison III, we have a team of writers coming up with these stories. Uh, he was the lead writer, but of course, uh, and, and eventually Mohale Mashigo came on board and Jeffrey Thorne, uh, and also my husband and collaborator, Stephen Barnes. Great minds <laughs> in this project. Um, I'd been a Marvel fan since the 1960s, and uh, you know, I owned the first, you know, probably still own the first Fantastic Four where the, you know, the uh, Black Panther appeared. So, you know, I was thrilled by the movie, by his appearance in Civil War and then in, in the film. I was not um, I was not the driving force behind this. Our agents came and Tanana Reeve had never been in a writer's room before. She'd never written comic book type material before. And she was really excited about doing it. So I just figured I'd back her play. 
You know, it's like, okay, if that's, if that's something you feel like you're going to have fun doing, then let me make sure that you have fun doing it. And, of course, there are, you know, career opportunities and so forth in, involved in that, too. But I've been fortunate enough to write other comic book characters. I was able to, to, to work with some other comic book characters in my life. So that childhood fantasy had already been fulfilled to a degree. But the opportunity to write Black Panther is a special opportunity because Black Panther has some cultural resonance that most comic book characters can't dream of. And how was this kind of set up when you went into the room? Is it like, okay, we're, we're Black Panther in Black Panther's world, you know, the Wakanda, that type of thing. Or did you have some freedom to use some of the other Avengers? Like, were there any limitations like that on what, what the story was going to be about? Well, we always knew it was going to be centered on T'Challa. You know, most of the uh, project isn't T'Challa's direct point of view, uh, mirroring his experiences, with some exceptions, you know. And we definitely wanted to, you know, do fan service by, of course, you have to set part of it in Wakanda. You can't do a Black Panther uh, in fan service without having part of it set in Wakanda. But it was very exciting to bring in some of the other um, Avengers. So we have Vision, uh, Ant-Man, you know, I won't say everybody, but there are there are some guest appearances that are very exciting. And, you know, I'm not sure we got everyone we asked for, but we're very excited about the ones that, that we were able to bring in. So where does this story exist in the world of, of some of the films? I mean, like it was, it was, it was great to go watch all the films in order, but I feel like in a decade from now, it's going to be a little more complicated to know the, the bigger picture. So where do you guys kind of fit into the bigger picture of the Marvel movies? Well, remember this, we're not dealing with the Marvel movies. We're dealing with the slightly parallel universe of the comic books. So it, it is, it's, it's not directly part of the MCU, wink, wink, although we all know that that is exactly what we're doing. So it, I would say that it parallels, um, you know, it parallels the world of, of Black Panther as in Wakanda as it more or less exists, you know, separate from, you know, Endgame and Infinity War. Right, right. It's really more set in the world at the, based in the comics, as Steve said, but if, you're, if a fan is coming in, they've never read the comics, but they've seen the movie Black Panther, they will know the world they're in. It's the moment at which Wakanda is now on the world stage, no longer hiding itself, almost really a direct leap from that last shot in Black Panther when T'Challa is addressing, what is that? The United Nations. United Nations, right? So. So this is a world where not everybody knows about Wakanda. So the question is, what do you do with your newfound power? And what is the price for your sins of the past? Now, when you guys talk about T'Challa, are you mainly talking about, um, you know, his origin story? Like, like there's a sample on the website that kind of talks about his father and some of that relationship. But what are the, what are the other elements you're talking about in terms of like him, his, his person as a character? Well, uh, you know, without giving away too much of the plot, um, T'Chaka, T'Challa's father, it, it does have a major role in this story. Um, and, and that harkens back to some of the, the history that, that's in the comics. So, the, the, like, for instance, the death of T'Chaka happens the way it happened in the comics, not the way it happened in the movies. Right. But yet he is also dead. So people who have watched the movie know, OK, there's that that broken relationship and how we're always earning. We're trying to um, we yearned for 
to commune with ancestors. We yearn for people we've lost. We lean into that quite a bit. But also, of course, the relationship between T'Challa and Shuri uh, is is very much at the forefront in this story and with his uh, stepmother, Amanda, um, and uh, some of the favorites from Adora Milaje, like Okoye. The Marvel movies, Marvel Cinematic Universe, has succeeded largely because they have delivered the experience of the comic book in a more adult fashion or more universal fashion, more visual fashion, but they kept, they kept things intact. And it feels like you're reading a Marvel comic book or it feels for an adult, very much like the experience you remember of reading one of those comic books when you were 15. Um, and that's, that's a, a slight miracle that they've pulled off there. So in dealing with the character of T'Challa, the important thing to remember is that he is a king. You know, he's a hero. He has his insecurities. Um, in the comic books, he was a supreme tactical fighter, that, not so much in the movies. Um, but I think that, that we, can, we can do things there to try to express that and have fun with it. And in some ways, you know, create a create images that we wish they would make a movie of. You know, movies have a different set of priorities. They're you know hugely expensive and have you know different different needs in terms of the kinds of audiences they have to satisfy and the kind of dynamism that you have to bring and your limitations in terms of what you can present. Um, so, but both try to stay true to the characters. Now, like I said, that's part of Marvel's success. So we're, you know, we're trying to do that, and it's a different format. It's a hybrid format, but you try to create the same experience but expressed through a different medium. Yeah, the, uh, the challenge of working with this kind of IP, like something like a Black Panther that has such a long history, like since 1966, is that you want to create a character as fans know the character, but you also have to do things with him that are a little bit different and, and you haven't seen before. So that really is the challenge in a nutshell, to be to be the same and yet different. Do you see this story, uh, like who is the target audience in mind? Is it like a mix of like YA and older audiences that who you're kind of writing for for this? I would say so. I think everybody, I think anybody who either has read the comics or loves the movie, this is a perfect project. You know, not only is it the uh, the digital read, you can read it at, you know, your leisure, but I love the uh, the enhanced audio with the narration by William Jackson Harper and all the sound effects. I mean, even for me, someone who was involved in writing, co-writing several chapters with Steve, when I hear him reading those chapters, narrating those chapters with sound effects, I'm at the edge of my seat, almost like I don't know what's going to happen next. So it's it's a very transformative thing when you bring in a talented, you know, Emmy-nominated narrator like this who can juggle all these very challenging accents and do it credibly. Yeah, so William Jackson Harper is, is from The Good Place and then uh, Midsummer. just for our listeners. So how did you... What else went into the logistics of the writing process? So you mentioned some of those sounds. It feels like there's a score that goes along with it. Are you writing some of those elements or is it more something that like the sound engineer does later after the process? So the, the production crew, you know, was bringing those things in. We weren't making those decisions. Yeah, well. that's all the magic in production. I mean, we might say that T'Challa is talking on a, a radio or whatever, and then the production manager would make it sound like he's talking on a radio. So that, that was that part. But there is a lot that went into just orchestrating the story. 
because we started with sort of a core story uh, that the lead writer put together and over the course of the writing room and beyond the writing room, tweaking, making changes, trying to make, because you're dealing with several different writers. So every, so every step of this story has to be thought out before you pass the baton on to the next writer. In fact, you're not passing the baton. I mean, we were basically all writing simultaneously. So a lot of us didn't have the opportunity to see the chapters that had been written previously before we started our own chapter. We had to really rely on the strength of the outline uh, and the overall story. And then with editing, go back and make sure everything matches. We, you know, if it ended, if chapter seven ended with them standing one place, does chapter eight end with, you know, begin with them in the same place? So it's little continuity issues uh, to try to find a continuity of voice. Um, and, and also it was really exciting to have a South African writer, Mohali Mashigo, involved in this because not only could she add that authenticity to her own chapters where she's talking about the aftermath of apartheid, uh, in very real world terms, but it could have a, a suggestion here and there about the kinds of exclamations that T'Challa or someone who was Wakandan might make. It's rather than sort of an Americanism, you know, like, hey, okay, you know, it's like, well, how about you try this? Was it, you said, you mentioned this was your first time in the writer's room, I believe. What was that like? I mean, what was what was kind of different about that for you? What are some of the benefits of like having that community to, to break character and story and that type of thing? Well, I think one of the, the that separates prose writers from screenwriters, and one of the reasons it's difficult sometimes for prose writers to transition into screenwriting is that it's a much more communal process from the outset. Even if you're not in a room, you're, you're getting your outline approved along various stages. I, I write screenplays with my collaborator, Steve, primarily because I just like having that other lobe of my brain. It, it expands your story capabilities amazingly, you know? So the challenge is to find a group of people who can get along, which we did. It was, to me, I was having a blast, although really the ideas were whizzing like bullets. And again, as an author who's used to working in seclusion, um, really a lot of the time, or or just with uh, one collaborator who who is Steve, the idea of several collaborators was very novel. And at first, it was just slightly overwhelming, but in the best possible ways. Where I was just sort of trying to watch and learn, and then finding my rhythm. You know, for how to, it's like watching a, a jump rope spinning, and you're trying to find, you know, where do you jump in? <laughs> you know, I about five novel writing has been in collaboration. So I'm very comfortable in that space. I enjoy, you know, bouncing ideas off of other people. And it, it, it has been most of the time I've been in a student position. You know, the, the books that I've done with my wife, that has not been true. But the others have been with mentor figures and people who've been in the field longer than I have. So I'm in, I'm in the lucky position of being able to get paid to go to school, in essence, with a lot of my, thing, a lot of my work. I really love that learning process. So in Hollywood, um, working with, you know, producers and directors and so forth in order to you have to you have to grasp that your your work you know you don't you're not writing a movie or a television show you're writing the blueprint for a movie or a television show you have to leave enough space for the other people to add their skill their heart you know and you have to ideally you know you have to kind of trust that these people are are just like you only they come with a different skill set and a different set of uh, of priorities 
So you're, you're part of a team. It's, it's that thing. So I was able to, to kind of sit back and let Tanana Reef do the, you know, going into the, into the, the, the writer's room. But then once the story came home, then we had to work on it together. Maybe with uh, not necessarily naming names, but if you think about the the writers' room in terms of like strengths that people brought, what were some maybe some recommendations you might have for a project like this? Like, is there you know these two people are experts in the in the comic book? This person's great at dialogue. Like, how do you kind of see you know the different pieces of the room working together? Yeah, it was very rare that we talked about specific dialogue. So uh, I would say, generally speaking, you have um, some people who are just very, very sort of organized about keeping track of story beats in their heads. No matter how many notes people put up on the board, they're just they're just following have that organizational quality that they're thinking. We're like instant recall; they can just bring up some, you know, what we were talking about in the previous scene in a way maybe I couldn't as much. Then you have other people who have an encyclopedic knowledge of the canon of the comics. Um, in a way that I did not, uh, you know, I, I had to get my little Black Panther encyclopedia to work on my chapter. That's what we did. I was not reading Black Panther since 1966, like, or any of the people in the room. So uh, that was always helpful. And then, you know, I, I pride myself on characterization. So hopefully, um, I don't know how much of that I was able to express in the room, but definitely trying to look at the events of the story from deep point of view and a character, does this make sense? And considering that each of the people in the room was really going to have to go off and write their own thing, it, it's not the same as if you're working on a television show where a single script will, make, will pass through several computers or several typewriters. It's more like you get together, you share ideas, you beat things out, and you go off and, you know, sweat blood. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Did you notice any other maybe unexpected difficulties? Like I, I've talked to some maybe novelists who entered the writer's room. You're going from that like, you know, solo, more like possibly introverted style of writing to where you really have to go speak up. And did you find anything different or unusual about maybe the office politics and that type of thing? Um, I, I wouldn't use the word politics because for me in that room, I was basically just trying to keep up. You know, I was like clearly... Uh, several people in there had had way more writer's room experience. So I felt myself sort of like uh, feeling like I was watching and learning for a while, finding my groove. But I'm really proud of the fact that when I did, you know, on my way to like day two, uh, I was I was driving and had an inspiration. I was like, holy cow, we should change this, you know. Uh, and it was a pretty major thought. <laughs> so uh, I was really happy that when I went and shared it, I mean, there was like some back and forth about it. But ultimately, that change did happen, you know. So even though I felt like kind of a novice for pretty much the whole time, um, I, I was tracking, and I and I and I feel proud of the fact that I was able to make a suggestion that turned out to be a pretty major one that made it uh, the project better. Um, the, the biggest change I've seen, the biggest difference I've seen between writing in Hollywood and writing writing in for New York, you know, sort of so to speak, is the collaborative aspect is a major one and the visual aspect is the other. But assuming that somebody is capable of thinking in terms of, of, of visual images, then the real challenge is that collaboration thing. You have to be a social writer. You have to be capable of 
dealing with that. And not not all novelists can do that. You know, there are a lot of novelists that are so introverted that they, they really do like, you know, sitting alone in their basement, living in a world of their imagination. That's going to be not the same thing as as being in a room full of people or bouncing ideas and exposing your naked ideas to, you know, to the fire of, of criticism. Um, it can be an ego testing experience if you have too much if you have too much invested in your ideas if you're not if if you're if you're afraid to look bad you're going to have a problem because there's simply no way to exist in that context without coming up with stupid ideas bad ideas the only real way to come up with a good idea is to come up with a bunch of bad ones uh, I was going to say, do you have any recommendations for maybe some first day ground rule type things? Like like if everyone knows that the best idea wins, anything like that that you guys talked about to make everyone feel comfortable sharing and that type of thing? I'm going to answer this kind of the side door because the first that I remember that I thought was incredibly helpful was that we did a, a system where it was like on for 50 minutes, off for 10 minutes. I think letting people sit back, let off some steam, building in that break time was very, very important um, and not in pe people not feeling overtaxed or, you know, any tensions. Not that I remember, but, you know, there were there were things that we had to discuss back and forth, you know, where you don't always agree and you have to figure out. So I, I think the key is really the leadership from above. Um, we were in a room where everyone felt like their voice was valued. And even though me, you know, feeling new to everything, I was nervous about making my suggestion, but I, I, I had to have the courage to make it. And I think that the, the lesson for the writer is to believe in, in your voice, you know, don't be worried about saying something that might sound stupid, or in my case, something that might involve a major change, <laughs> you know, in the story where you have to go back and rethink some things that you thought you had already figured out, which is really, really hard. And that's a tough, that's a tough fight. Uh, not just because people don't want to do the work, but because you've already started to imagine the story. I would say that the important thing to do if you're talking about how to organize such a group is to remember that hopefully you're dealing with people who are both brilliant and insecure, um, highly competitive and a little scared to step out. So you have to, you know, you have to have some social skills to do that. Well, you guys have already given a lot of great advice. I'll just do maybe one or two more. Um, so for some of our listeners, whether they're trying to be, you know, a, a, an author or trying to write screenplays, what, what advice might you have if you guys were starting today as like, you know, young novice writers, what route might you take? How would you maybe get noticed? Oh, well, I don't know about getting noticed. The first thing you do is you have to you have to be worthy to be to be noticed, and that assumes that you're going you're prepared to do the work to do it. Um, you know, in general, I believe who it was that said it. Everybody has about a million words of crap in their system. So the idea of writing your first screenplay and getting you know catching Spielberg's attention and getting a million dollars is you know that's a pipe dream. You know, just and imagine it's going to take as much time for you to get to a professional skill as you would take to earn an AA degree. You know, it's a couple of years, of constant work. And the most important work you can do other than writing is to watch a movie every week and read the screenplay to that movie while you're watching it. Right. I think if I were starting again, I would be less shy about approaching screenwriting. I started out as a novelist. 
didn't really think I wanted to write screenplays based on watching my friends making their films in college and how much it took to set up the lighting. I didn't think that filmmaking was as interesting to me. It didn't involve too many technical aspects. And I was intimidated by the screenplay form. So it was only when people started optioning my books and then they would never get anywhere. I thought, oh, well, maybe if I learn how to write, I'll be helpful in that process. But I was slow to it. I feel like if I had been less intimidated by the form, just trusted that I could use something like Writer Duet, you know, online, a free online screenwriting program, it would format for me. I could have been learning screenplays a lot faster. So maybe it would have been before 2020 that I had my first produced television credit, which was the episode that Steve and I wrote uh, for Twilight Zone, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Perfect. I think we're good. Unless you guys, anything else you want to say about Black Panther, anything else you're working on? No, I mean, I think that um, we we teach Afrofuturism, which Black Panther is certainly an exemplar of, and uh, Black Horror, which, you know, movies like Jordan Peele's Get Out. Are, are exemplar of, and if people are interested in like kind of way that we conceptualize these things, would like to find out more about it, they can go to AfroFuturismWebinar.com or SunkenPlaceClass.com, and, uh, and 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 get onto the online version of those classes. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.